0: Welcome, Ellen in everyone. Thrilled to bring you episode 23 of The Mental Game from Chicago. I'm Sam Brief, and hope you're having a wonderful week. I'm really thrilled to bring aboard my next guest. It's Matt Fitzgerald, an endurance athlete turned writer whose books I've been plowing through. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not an athlete. Certainly not an endurance athlete. But I've been really fascinated by Matt Fitzgerald's writing because he writes all about how the mental game applies to endurance athletes. And if you take any group of athletes and use it as a case study for applying mental game concepts and how to push yourself, how to overcome barriers, it's such a simplistic sport, a simplistic way to look at these things. The title of Matt's first book that I read, is how bad do you want it, which sort of encapsulates the whole idea. And in it, he argues that really every race boils down to that question, how bad do you want it? And instead of a sport like football or a baseball where there's so many variables, there's the ball, there's the refs, there's the pitcher, there's the defense, there's the coaching, all this stuff. So often a race and whether you finish and in what time you finish it's just, oh well, how bad do you want it? How much pain can you endure? So check that out at mattfitzgerald.org. His next book, The Comeback Quotient, you can pre order now right there. I just finished it. It's all about comebacks. Athletes who suffered incredible obstacles, losing limbs, severe mental illness, and somehow defying those odds. And what traits All of those ultra-realists, as he calls them, share. So I've been really excited to talk to Matt Fitzgerald for quite some time now. Part of what makes him unique, he doesn't just write about this. He doesn't just sit around and, you know, make crap up, type away on his computer. He's lived it. He's an athlete. He's run Ironmans, marathons, 50-mile races. He coaches. He's a nutrition expert. So he's really a lot of things. Under the Sun. So Matt Fitzgerald, the 23rd guest on The Mental Game. So there's this quote in your most recent book that you kick off a chapter with, and it really resonated with me, Mm -hmm. so much so that I took a picture of it, and I have it saved on my phone to remind me throughout the day. It's from Eckhart Tolle. Uh Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as though you had chosen it that sort of encapsulates your ideas, right? Yeah, uh it, yeah,
1: that, I think that's fair. Um That's sort of the beauty of it is that it, it's a pretty darn simple message. But there's another quote in the book from Thelonious Monk, simple ain't easy. <laughs> so, you know, conceptually, uh, the, you know, the concept I, I talk about all throughout the book is that of being an ultra realist. And that's just, you know, if we look at Athletes who are able to overcome great adversity to achieve great comebacks. Um, the thing that I feel, from my experience, that they all have in common is this ability to ability and willingness to fully face reality. And that's what Eckhart Tolle is talking about right there. Just you know, we all we all want things to go our way, but they're not always going to. And when they don't, you know, the people who are are, you know masters of the comeback are able to quickly say, okay, I'm not glad this happened, but I'm going to make the best of it. Um, so they, they pivot from, oh crap, <laughs> to, all right, let's see what's possible still.
0: And the, oh crap, is fine. That's something mm-hmm. that I also took away is, right. sometimes people preach to others, like, oh, you got to act positive, stay positive. Well, some situations are very crappy, and endurance right. athletes, all sorts of athletes, human beings deal with that. When it's crap, you've got to be able to say, Okay, this is crap. I'm in the crap. How do I get out of the crap? And then wait. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and that's quite a visual I just painted.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful infographic <laughs> waiting to be made there. But yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's what it means to, to face reality is to face all of it, you know, including, you know, your negative emotions. Um, so yeah, you know, if if something really goes sideways on you, 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 you can't really fool yourself or you can only get away with it for so long. And I guess maybe a better way to put it is that if, if you want to solve a problem, you need to identify it. You you can't, you can't be in denial of what the problem is. And, And that's all, you know, a part of it, just saying, you know, this is, you know if the absolute worst happens in a in a race, you know I talk mo- mostly about endurance sports or whatever competition or life, like if the absolute worst happens, go ahead and call it that but but then say, okay, you know like that's the problem now, how do I solve it
0: You have such a background in endurance sports, you're a runner yourself, and you weave your own journey into a lot of your writing now tell me as someone who didn't grow up with endurance sports why endurance sports are such a great vehicle for teaching these methods of of reality acceptance
1: you know you can go throughout um you know it, like look, look at the bible as an example there's the like races like running races are used as a metaphor for life like in the bible and also um you know in the buddhist tradition as well and like you know ancient greek and roman philosophers were talking about you know, you know, of course, they didn't have bicycles back then, but, you know, like, you know, in, in endurance, like the whole life as a marathon concept is it, that's what sports in general really are. I mean, you know, I probably the, the oldest sports are running races and combat, you know, wrestling or whatever. And and, and they're both like they're, they're both um, sp- their life boiled down to its essence um, that they, they're they're not they're not they aren't life itself but they're you can they can be viewed as a microcosm of life and and training for life and you know fast forward to the 21st century and you know endurance sports still exist you know most people only end up doing them like me if they stink at every other sport but the, they're they're there and they still have that appeal just that primal simplic- simplicity of okay here's the start line there's the finish line how how quickly can i get there and it, and it hurts
0: you're going to endure a lot of pain yes
1: yeah there's no ball there's no timeouts there's no teammates
0: (laughs) right right and listen i'm as big a sports fan as anyone else and the sports that i grew up playing and following and that i actually work in now involve those you know, made up things, really the ball, the net, like these are things that are constructed by humans and they're beautiful sports and I love them dearly, but there's nothing like the act of running in a straight line or in a circle and trying to beat someone else out. And I'm really fascinated, Matt, in I'm kind of jumping around the Matt Fitzgerald, you know, landscape here, but with one of your other books, how bad do you want it? It's in the title. How bad do you want it? In a football game, it's different. You know, look at Tom Brady. He has so much that he has to think about. What kind of package does the defense have? What routes are his receivers running? What's the play call? All this stuff is manufactured. But so often in an endurance race, it's how much freaking pain can you endure? (laughs) And how bad do you want it? And to me, that's kind of beautiful in its simplicity.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that really is the, the appeal, um, you know, and, you know, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, long distance runners as masochists, but we're really not like there's, we don't like pain. We like mastering pain. There, there, there is a reward. Um, you have to go through a lot of pain to to get it. And it's, you know, it's an acquired taste and it's not for everyone, but, you know, you have those moments, you know, in almost every race where you get deep into it, but you're still, you've got a ways to go and you're suffering and you always forget how much it hurt, you know, <laughs> you always forget how much the last race hurt. And, and then you're just so deeply alone with yourself and, and they're, like you're, you're, your, your, conscien- your consciousness kind of divides and there's that, you know, devil on your left shoulder saying, just quit. Just quit. Like, like you paid money for this, you can stop. Like are <laughs> right, paying for the pain. <laughs> right. And then there's you know, this angel on your your right shoulder who really, you know, I've come to think of as my better self. You know, the, the person I want to be is there saying, No, like you're doing this for a reason. Like it's it's about way more than you know, running your best time or, or whatever. It's about like, who are you? Like, you know, who do you want to be? Um, and it's it's really deep stuff. And you know, there's nothing worse than blinking in those moments and, you know, finishing a race and knowing even if your time was good, even if you won, like if you know you didn't leave it all out there, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But if you if you do master the moment that stays with you, um, you know, it, it really it changes you and, and you you walk away with, um, you know, like kind of a self-regard and a, a confidence that you can uh, take to all facets of your life. It's really transformative in that way.
0: The sheer distances are transformative, <laughs> right? I mean, I've run, I, I got into running the last couple of years. I ran a 5k for the first time, which for me at the time was a huge feat. I'd never run that much. You can run that much in your sleep. I feel like I can't even concept running a marathon. And then I read about ultra marathons and you write about them in your books, you know, hundreds of miles and and biking hundreds of miles. So tell me from your experience as a runner and as a writer covering these runners, the feeling in your head, when you're at mile, let's say 52 of an ultra marathon and you've got 48 freaking miles to go. What's that like?
1: You know, it, it can, it can be a lot of different things. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you experience an entire lifetime. I mean, I'm, there are shorter races, you know, that are more intense. And it's just like, you know, you, you feel like you're just thrown into a pot of boiling water and you hang out for an hour or two. But, but the really long ones, it's almost like you live like a, a, a mini lifetime. So you, you could be 52 miles, but I've never done a 100 mile race, I should say. What's the longest you've done? If you're running 50 miles, um, I've done you know technically Ironman triathlons are longer, but you know you're on a bike half the time, and that's you can cover a lot of ground. But but so you could be 52 miles into a 100 mile ultra marathon and feeling pretty darn good, you know. Relatively, it's really all about expectations. You know, I I tell I'm also a coach, and I tell athletes all the time who are kind of struggling with their mental game. It's it's not how much you're suffering; it's whether you're up to your suffering, like like any like a very, a very like you could have two different experiences where you're suffering a lot, and in in on um, one time when you're suffering a lot, you know you're on track to achieve your goal, and you like you're hurting, but you know it's for something. Uh, there's a great quote from the Japanese novelist uh, Haruki Murakami he said, uh, you know, I can handle any amount of pain as long as it has meaning. Um, and that you, 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 you learn the truth of that. If you're going to be a, a successful endurance athlete, like it, it's not, a, you can suffer almost an infinite amount if you know, like you're going to succeed, but you can, you could also be suffering somewhat less and you're just, maybe your heart, like you know, the, I, I, Last year, right before, yeah, it was almost just over a year ago. I I tried to do an even longer race, a hundred kilometer ultramarathon. So that's sixty-two miles, and I didn't finish. And my excuse for uh, DNFing, did not finishing, was I I suffered a couple of falls, and yeah, I looked in rough shape when I quit. So, but I, I didn't feel good about it, and it was really because my heart wasn't in it. Like at time. At that time, my, my mom was living with us. She has Alzheimer's. Like it was sucking up a lot of my emotional energy, like caring for her. And, you know, I'd done the training, but you have to be like, you have to really want it, you know, you know what I mean? So I thought I was ready, but you find out for sure, you know, when you're out there, you know, for me, I made it 38 miles that day before I bailed. And it just, you know, physically it would have been rough going, but I could have finished that race, but I didn't because I had to be 100% there um to do it mentally and i I wasn't
0: you've written about different athletes whether they're runners or cyclists who finish a race and then feel in their legs like they have more to give and how that is a feeling of despair because it's like man i could have gone harder i could have run faster i could have pedaled harder and frankly matt i've even thought about this in my just amateur workouts, you know, going on a Peloton for a few minutes when I get off, I'm like, Oh, I feel like I could go another 10 minutes, but maybe the motivation just isn't there on a certain day, uh, which is one thing for me, but it's a whole different animal when you're a professional athlete or an Olympic athlete.
1: It's, you know, it's really not that different from being a a kid. Like if you, Mm. um, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, they, they, they're like, don't do it for me. I want to do it. Like they love a challenge. They want to stretch their abilities. Like they love doing, you know, little kids like love doing something for the first time, you know, taking the training wheels off and falling a couple of times and then staying upright. It's hard. It hurts, but they're into it. And, you know, you know, we're, we grow up, but we still have that in us and, and we want to see what we can do. And, you know, what I, Part of the reason I like to write about champion level athletes is because they they can teach us so much. And a lot of what you discover when you really analyze these people is a little surprising. For example, you would think all they care about is winning. And that's not true. Like the, the champions, like I, I give the example of, of Dave Scott, a legendary triathlete who won the Ironman World Championship six times. But if you ask him what his absolute favorite race was from you know he's long since retired now like if his favorite memory from racing he'll give you two and they're actually the two times he lost the Ironman you know he won six times lost twice but his favorite races are the times he lost because he was stretched the most in in those losses so even a great champion who loved to win and hated to lose like for him it just trying to win is just an excuse to find your limits and and, and that is the real that that's what everyone is, is truly seeking.
0: You referenced a study in comeback quotient about goal setting and how no matter what, those who had loftier goals performed better than those who had maybe more manageable goals. And to me, that says that in our brains there's something that wants to always be striving. And the goal might not be as realistic, but you want something to go for that makes you want it more right
1: yeah my my belief is and it is based on on research um mm-hmm. is that the the best goal is one that is within reach but barely um and, and the point of a goal is actually not to achieve it it's it's to take you on a journey it, it's to it is to stretch you like if you set the bar at the right height you may or may not achieve the goal But you will improve more in the process than you would have if you had set the bar either out of reach or at a more manageable level. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's an art to it. You want because you have to believe you have a chance (laughs) because if you don't, it's just like it's too easy to let yourself off the hook. So you have to believe you have a chance, but you have you also have to know it's going to take everything I've got. And even then, it might not be enough.
0: So that makes me think of one of the athletes you write about. Cross country skier from the Vancouver Olympics, Petra Madic. Yeah. What a roller coaster of a journey she had. I mean, right away taking a hard fall, broken ribs, like punctured lung, right? I mean, she was a wreck physically, really shouldn't have been out there and finished and medaled. And it was against all odds. But you wrote about how she had to change her goal from okay, I want to be the best in the world. I want to win a gold medal To I just want to finish the race. I just want to be proud of myself at the end of the day. And that's when she tapped into this being within herself, this monster that somehow did this incredible thing.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it actually requires some kind of setback in order for you to find your ultimate limit, you know, because she came into those Olympics as I wouldn't say the gold medal favorite, but a strong contender. Um, she was definitely in, in the world cup season leading up to those Olympics. She was pretty dominant. Um, and then it was in the warmup that she fell into a 10 foot gully. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a race. You know, it was like, it was, like she was in a, like a sprint where they, they race uh, three or four times on the same day. So you, you do a short race, you get to rest for a minute. And then if you qualify for the next round, you keep going. So it was before even the first round that she – and they were undiagnosed injuries because they didn't have the proper medical equipment. So she knew she was in tremendous pain, but she didn't know what was wrong with her. Uh, but, I mean, she couldn't even – she she couldn't even really – well, the, the, the organizers, as a favor to her, uh, they they pushed her to the back. because it, it was one of those things where they set off – send off athletes one at a time. So she got to start last where she was supposed to start in the middle, but she actually couldn't sit down and rest because it was too painful. And she, and, and she still managed to get around the circuit. And then, then it's like, well, somehow I qualified for the next round. And then it's, you know, that she starts to think, well, just maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I can raise the bar, start raising the bar again. But, you know, maybe if, if if that hadn't happened to her, um, you know, she wouldn't, she would have never discovered just how, she could dig, uh, and yeah, it's a story for the ages for sure.
0: Reading that chapter took me on an emotional ride. You're rooting for her. Come on, Petra, oh, yeah. Come on! Just You're hey, <laughs> totally. so much pain. It's incredible. You wrote about her. Psychologist told her coach, "Go ballistic on her," because he wanted her adrenaline to go up and essentially erase the pain, or or you can't erase that sort of pain, but alleviate it to some degree. When you need to be yelled at to alleviate your pain, that's when you know you're in pain.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. As I I say in the book, it was weak medicine, but it was all they had.
0: (laughs) It's something. Yeah, man, that that was absolutely wild. It, It makes me think about goals and what goals are. Like, is your goal to win a gold medal? Is your goal to run a certain time? Or is your goal to do the best you can? And, you know, I think non-athletes can learn a lot from athletes. I don't think we realize how much in the brain there is to learn from the most elite athletes. Like, for example, Matt, I want to be a big, big time broadcaster, right? It's easy for me to sit back and say, oh, my goal is to call a Super Bowl. My goal is to do an Olympics one day for NBC, well, is that a goal really? Or or is that just what I envisioned for my career if I keep working at it and, and rising to the top? My goal really is to do the best I can and work at it like a dog and turn into the type of broadcaster that can be in a position to get hired by those people at the top. So your writing about endurance athletes makes me think about my own goals and I think could really get anyone going about theirs
1: yeah in uh in the comeback quotient especially those those two books that you have in front of you how, how bad you want it and the comeback quotient that you can easily pair them together uh but the more recent one the comeback quotient uh, i really did have non-athletes in mind like you know all, almost all of the stories in there are about um athletes but uh yeah i mean all of this stuff does uh, apply to, to life outside i mean think about it like Athletes are human beings. <laughs> like they're they're not training and competing all the time and some of the some of the comebacks I describe in in that book are from setbacks that occurred outside of the athletic context. You know, I talk about um Rob Carr, an, an ultra runner who suffers from major depression. Well, I mean, he he didn't get that because he was a runner and it affects everything, not not just his running, um and uh, Jamie Whitmore, another an off a world champion off-road triathlete, had this just horrific cancer battle. Again, you know, that that's a that's a health thing. It affected absolutely every part of her life, uh, including her sports. Uh and, and there's a good example, you know, you said, you talked about your goals and how, you know, it's fine to just list very specific things, but you know, 40 years down the road, you might be looking back in, on your career. And you didn't do any of those specific things, but you're like, wow, what an awesome career I've had, you know? And and yeah, you see that with a lot of these athletes. It's like, well, you know, my, the story I have to tell isn't the one that I thought I wanted, but it's, it's in some ways even better.
0: Right. And athletes who have lost something like an injury, like a limb, yeah. it makes yeah. me think about what would happen if my vocal cords went out. How would I have to adjust as a human, as a professional? It, it's it's a great metaphor. And I, I love your message of athletes are people. To me, it's just, hey, professional athletes are people who are very, very, very good at what they're doing. And it just happens to be physical. And most of us can't do it. Can I run a 100-mile race? No, I can't. <laughs> but uh, I can learn some lessons from the people who do. And I, I hope more people see your writing. Uh, And and these two books I got in front of me as a vehicle for that. I really do. I appreciate that. You're doing your part. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 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 trying here. So Matt, you wrote about your training for the Ironman in Santa Rosa. It's a really cool thing you do, weaving your own athletic path. You're not an old guy, but you kind of write about yourself like an old guy. You're like, I'm not my younger self. I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm this old man trying to do the Ironman. And you write about your setbacks and how you hadn't swam in a while. I I was especially intrigued by your injuries, by feeling pain in your legs and and having to really alter course. Tell me the mindset of suffering an injury and coming to terms of having to alter your training as a result. Oh, man.
1: maybe, 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 (laughs) maybe, maybe Maybe I'm not that old but I am older than I've ever been uh, yes and, and also experienced and um, you know the whole reason I included that personal element in the book is that I wanted I wanted to show people I believe in this message that I'm sharing with you enough to practice it myself you know I, I care very much about my own athletics you know I'm not I'm not professional never was but you know I'm I'm, I'm Competitive. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to waste my time on a methodology, you know, a, a way of building mental fitness unless I really believe it works. So, you know, that's why that's in there. And I, I will say that, you know, I, I was very seasoned at, at the time when I came up with this concept of ultra realism and, and tried to practice it. So, you know, if I had tried the same thing 20 years before, it might not have gone so well. Like I was ready for it, but I also did, it, it raised. It raised my game even more. Um, Because instead of just sort of like vaguely like trying to, you know, practice a grab bag of, you know, mental tricks, like it was a whole, it was the coherent philosophy. Like, you know, it was like, uh, I liken it in the book to the Scout's uh, Code of Honor. It's just like, you know, any Boy Scout can, or, you know, any Boy Scout can recite that. And I had my own code and it it was with me. This was an 11 month long journey because I needed all of that time to get my body together for for this race. But yeah, you know, over that time, it just kept me on course in a way that, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to do if I'd just been kind of winging it.
0: And your attitude in the race is something I actually thought about the other day. So you got penalized and you had to go to the penalty tent and you realized that your younger self would have done what most athletes do when they're penalized and that's yell at the refs and, you know, kind of been an asshole and made everyone's life miserable. But you were like, you know what, I'm just gonna be a nice guy and, you know, kind of talk to these people and be a bright spot in their day. And I actually thought about you the other day because I was dealing with some issue where I was calling the company on the phone and, you know, one of those customer service things. And it turned into a marathon, Mm -hmm.
1: so to speak, Uh good one,
0: (laughs) Um, a customer service marathon. And I just decided actively consciously to have a positive attitude. I said, you know what? I'm just going to be really nice to this guy. Name was Brenton turned out to be super helpful. I was like, Brenton, you're my guy. Like you're being super helpful. I asked him, you know, how can I, um, you know, pretty much tell your supervisors that you're great. He ended up being super helpful and going above and beyond for me mm-hmm. doing things he probably wouldn't have done if I was just like, rah, rah. so I thought about that. It's just like, sometimes you can choose to make your reality being buddy, buddy with someone instead of just being a jerk on the phone.
1: Yeah. Another, another quote, uh, uh, pretentious philosopher quote in, in the book uh, that I like is, uh, from Jean-Paul Sartre. And he said, um, freedom is what you do with what is done to you. Um, and that's just it. That's one of the themes in the book is that, you know, what I see, uh, you know, with athletes I coach is, um, they, they, when something goes wrong or something, isn't the way they want it, they, they, they lose sight of the choices they still have, the freedom they still have. You know, when something's taken away from you, it's easy to fixate on what's been taken away from you and, and to not realize, wait a minute, you know, I I can I still have all kinds of options here. And sometimes actually the options are very limited, but there's one that can absolutely never be taken away from you. And that is your your attitude. Um and yeah, so that that's what I was doing in that penalty tent there is like, you know, I, I sure wished I hadn't gotten a drafting penalty um but i did and so then it then it becomes um well okay how do i make the best of it and and, you know i had to be there for five minutes that couldn't change well um you know i can i can just be nice like i said and and crack jokes in there because that's a tough job you know like because everyone's angry because they've been penalized and everyone like me thinks it's a bs penalty that they shouldn't have gotten and you said you know my younger self would have rated them. My younger self did berate them <laughs> in, my first, in my first Ironman. The same thing happened, and I went off on this poor ref Who's probably probably a volunteer. I don't know if they're even paid or not. You know. But you know, so the funny thing is, is that you know I, I was doing it for them and myself. Like it, you, pick, you could choose. I, I I could either being nice and cracking jokes. I could have been doing it entirely for them. And it helped me as a collateral benefit or the other way around, because it, it works out the same by the way. And that sounds like exactly the experience you have with the customer service person.
0: <laughs> so true. In, in very few contexts, is complaining fun. Right. The act of like getting yourself all worked up and sweaty and like it's just not fun. It's more fun no. to be nice to a person. Yes. And <laughs> you know, while we're on the topic of the penalty tent. I had to reread this a few times. Did you pee in the penalty tent? Like, is that a, can you describe for me what, how do you go to the bathroom during an Ironman?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? So they have, you know, they have opportunities, but if, if you're someone who's trying to punch their ticket to the world championships, you know, they have age divisions there. And I was, I was in the men's 45 to 49 age group, which is like, it sounds really old, but like, it's competitive. Like, the fastest guys, you know, my age are not a lot slower than the fastest 20 something. So, you know, I couldn't mess around. And, and when you're that competitive, you, you pee on the fly. Um, so, you know, you, you do whatever business you have to do before the race, but, you know, cause you have to hydrate, you know, you're just, you're chugging sports drinks and water the whole time. And, you know, it's, you know, for someone at my level, it's, it's, you know, a nine and a half to 10 hour race, you're going to have to pee at some point. And you, you actually just—if you, you, it takes practice—but you can, you can pee on the bike. Uh, yeah, it just so happened for me that once it, it was like once I I was given the penalty, and the, but I had to ride to the next penalty tent. So I I knew that. Um, I, well, I, I suspected I would have an opportunity. I, I thought naively they would have a bathroom there. But of course, they don't want to give people an opportunity to make use of the five-minute penalty, so they didn't have a bathroom there. So I had been sort of saving it, and I show up there with a full bladder, and I had to go. So at that point, I just you know I'm wearing like a like a skin tight one-piece triathlon racing suit, all aerodynamic. So I just kind of let it go, uh, and it was a, a a young kid, like maybe a five-year-old, who was uh, apparently the child of one of the referees in the tent, who <laughs> asked me like. Did you just go to the bathroom? <laughs> like he's the one who dogged me out, <laughs> and actually, I did not know it was a, it was illegal to do that. And that that's where I said that's where I make the point in the book that my my attitude probably saved me because I could have been disqualified for that. You know, because ignorance of the rules is no excuse.
0: Illegal urination is a serious offense.
1: Yes, exactly. That's like personal foul. Uh, So, but she left me off the hook. And I think it was because I had treated her like a human being. Uh, So it, yeah, it paid off. And now, you know, everyone listening knows how you go to the bathroom
0: in an Ironman. (laughs) I'd love to watch a training session where a really elite Ironman athlete who's competing for a world championship is practicing, peeing on the run. I mean, that's, that's something you got to fine tune, right? I'd love to watch that practice session. No, no, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it right. You got to pee this way.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like anything else, there's technique involved. You could do it poorly or you could do it well.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You got to have all the details hammered out. <laughs> it's a game of seconds. <laughs> it really is. You know, One of my favorite examples of attention to detail is John Wooden the great college basketball coach had his players sit down in a line and practice how to put their socks on so that they wouldn't get blisters because he noticed his players were just kind of shoving them on. They'd be all bunched up. They'd run like heck and they'd get blisters and then they'd run slower and then they'd lose. And he said, if I can control this one little thing, I'm going to do it. So he would sit down, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lew Alcindor. And tell them this is how you put your socks on i'm going to show you how and they did it, and he won ten championships so attention <laughs> to detail goes a long way yeah
1: it also you know I, you know with coach you know, because again i am a coach myself it it communicates something beyond it's not it's not really about the socks like it is and, and it isn't um you know i, I worked with uh, i had this uh, it's a, another book for another time but, but uh, a few summers ago I spent an, ent- an entire um entire summer, living and training with a team of professional runners who are half my age and, and twice my ability. And some, it was way up in Flagstaff at 7,000 feet. But every now and then, if we wanted like a lower elevation workout, we would drive like 45 minutes to another town. And it so happened that I went there, well, the coach of the team, a guy named Ben Rosario, he had to go there two days in a row, first with one group. And then he, he brought me down. And both times... He he brought this uh, measuring wheel to measure out distance down there and lay out cones at specific distances. He did it two days in a row, like it was completely unnecessary. He could have just left chalk marks and just and said that's good enough. But he he wants his athletes to see him being that meticulous and painstaking because of the example it sets. It's like the socks matter, like you know. The, you know, getting the distance right matters. Um, so yeah, so good coaches, I guess that's something a lot of them do.
0: Right. If the socks matter, the distances matter, everything matters and you better pay attention to everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I'll just add to that. Like what you don't want to do is turn athletes into control freaks. Um, you know, so it, there's, a, there's a balancing act there, and. and with everything in sports, it's like there's more than one tool you need to be able to employ. So yes, you want to be meticulous and be able to, to, um, you know, pay attention to details, but you can't, you can't become fanatical about having everything just perfect because then what do you do when you get a hole in your sock anyway, or like the coach makes a mistake, you know, with the measuring cones and one of your splits is, you know, what, not what it should have been. And you're inclined to freak out. So Another thing you see at champion level athletes, a characteristic they have is the the ability to let go and and adapt to go with the flow. And, you know, a lot of people who are a little more fragile with their mental game, like it's like you're, you're, you're seeding control. Like, instead of just saying, you know what, I don't need everything to be perfect. I can win anyway. So, so there's a, there's a balancing act there. Meticulous, but not, not
0: a freak for control you need to be able to clear your mind and someone you write about who does a tremendous job and really goes to tremendous lengths to clear his mind is Eliud Kipchoge who is the best marathoner ever. And he's a multi-millionaire and he can live a lavish, intense lifestyle, but he chooses before big races to go to this remote village and live a really pared down lifestyle without technology. Sort of, I get this, Image in my head of him like working the farm and just hanging
1: out, swabbing toilets, L- literally swabbing toilets. Yes, <laughs>
0: yeah. So tell me a bit about
1: his approach. Yeah, you know, the, the you know I've, I've been to to Kenya. Actually, I'm wearing uh the Kenyan national soccer oh, yeah. team jersey. W- one of my best friends grew up there, so. uh But you know, I, I love you know because you know the East African runners, Kenya, Ethiopia, like they're they're pretty much the best of the best. And if you go there, like yeah, you know, there, there's this one track in the village of B10 that like. Like literally, more Olympic and world champions have trained on that track than on any other track in the world, and it's barely usable. Like it looks like it's just dirt and it's rutted, and you could easily, you know, if you have to watch your footing, or you could twist an ankle, and it's just it—it's a mess. I mean, it's very rudimentary, and yet (laughs) it hasn't (laughs) held held Kenya back from just dominating and running. It it, it just—it goes to show that you know really success in, in kind of honing your body and your mind for elite level sports competition, it's about the basics, you know, like they don't have fancy supplements there or like, you know, compression garments. I mean, I I guess maybe Elliot Kipchoge does, but for him, he's smart enough to realize like, you know, just because I have these millions doesn't mean I'm going to change the formula. So he, you know, he just basically, you know, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to win marathons, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And do you, so do you want your first taste of that to be on race day? Or do you just want to be living a life where you sort of, you know, embrace an aesthetic lifestyle where you don't have a lot of television and, you
0: know, creature comforts? So what are some ways that everyday people can apply the Kipchoge method to their lives? Because it sounds great, but I'm not moving <laughs> to a remote village and swabbing toilets and clearing my mind that way. So what are some little things I can do in my day-to-day life to to get that result?
1: Take cold showers. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I'm I yeah, I'm only halfway kidding there, but like I have a I wrote a, a blog post not not that long ago about the importance of doing some things that suck precisely because they suck, like and for no other reason because it is that sort of practice and it doesn't have to be anything masochistic um one one thing i do is like when i do you know you know like most endurance athletes i do some supplemental strength training you know to prevent injury and whatever and you know there's certain exercises i do uh that i keep in my routine a lot of them like I, i swap things in and out depending on circumstances or whatever but certain things i keep in there and they're actually my least favorite exercises the ones that i just dread doing. And I keep them in there because I hate them. And I just think it's good for me to just, you know, just just face it and do it and embrace the suck.
0: <laughs> There's something about being challenged that our minds need.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, again, uh, it get, get, to me, it gets back to being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Like you just, you know, you, it, it, even, in, even in sports that are more fun, like the ones uh, you you cover, like you're still... You know, the word agony comes from the Greek word agon, which means competition. Like, you know, you, it, it takes different forms and different sports, but you, you get out of your comfort zone in one way or, or another, and you got to be good at that. And it takes training. And, and yeah, there are just certain things you can do. Uh, I hesitate to call them hacks, <laughs> but there are things you can do, you know, in, in your preparation and, or just in, in your everyday life that uh, put a little hair on your chest, so to speak
0: i want to go through a little exercise with you if you'll bear Uh-oh. with me i okay i sort of remember in one of your books you referenced the tom brady comeback the yep. 28-3 against the falcons are you a patriots fan because you're from new england
1: uh um, are you gonna hang up on me if i say yes
0: <laughs> no i'm not one of those people you're come on you're you're fine here this is a safe space I-
1: yeah, it's just you know, you know, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox, Patriots. Yes.
0: Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> hold on, hold on, one second. I got something to show you here. Okay. Okay, I'm back. This is my David Ortiz bobblehead, which I do so <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> I do like it.
0: I was I at David it. Ortiz bobblehead day like seven years ago. Red Sox, Yankees. So that's my that's my one Boston sports memorabilia piece. <laughs> That's
1: that's a pretty good one. You could have done worse, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Okay, so here's the exercise that I want to do with you that as a Boston sports fan, I don't think you'll have too much trouble with. So a lot of my audience are fans of football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, more traditional sports, not the endurance or Olympic sports, right? So I want you, if you'll bear with me, to apply the accepting. Embracing and addressing reality concept of ultra realism to something that might be more familiar with my audience, like that Tom Brady comeback twenty right So tell me how Tom Brady went through the ultra realist method to beat the Falcons.
1: Yeah, you know the pitts are a great example of a lot of this psychology because they they're if you hear like you know Brady or Belichick talk, it's it's all about process focus, not, not outcome focus. Like they're trying to win the game of football, not to beat the team they're playing against. And it's always about we're on to Cincinnati (laughs) win or lose. It's, it's about the next play or this play, uh, you know, more accurately. So I can guarantee like what was going on in in the, in the intra-team communication as things were going just horribly wrong in that game is that they weren't even looking at it as going horribly wrong. They were just looking at it as we're down twenty-eight to three. That was it. Like uh, honestly, I mean, you can't help but sort of look at look at the scoreboard a little bit. But I can assure you, they were doing that less than anyone else would have been doing in the situation. It was just all about execute. And of course, you you might change your play calling given like you know the the specific circumstances of the game but even still that's that's the same thing you're always doing you could be up up 28 to 3 and you would adjust your play calling you know based on the situation so that's you know
0: just ask Kyle Shanahan right <laughs> <laughs> right yes <laughs> sorry had to yes
1: yeah, so no well played <laughs> so you yeah, know that 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 was the deal there and of course you know when you see like things start to r- turn around. You, you put points on the board. Yeah, maybe you get a little excited, but still like there would be some conscious tamping that down. It's like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're, we're still down. It's still the the same formula. Like it's do your job, you know, just execute the next play. So accepting the reality, is just like, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of immaterial to them or they try to make it. So whether they're winning, losing, or it's dead even, it's just like, same formula. That, that's acceptance. So when they fall behind, they don't like it, but it's like that just becomes, there's that other, I keep throwing quotes at you, qu- quote in the book, but, um the obstacle is the way. I think that's how they look at it. It's just like, okay, like we just gave up another touchdown. So like, that's the obstacle. It's also the way forward because like, that's what we have to do now uh, to be, to win the game. So yeah. So you know, accepting, um, embracing is just like um, not being afraid of it. Like just saying, like it's still possible. Anything is possible. Let's see what we can do here. And you know, nobody on the Patriots was going to go jump off a bridge if they hadn't pulled off that comeback. I mean, honestly, they, they've all they lost before. You know, Brady's lost, lost what three Super Bowls. Um, so it's like whatever. Life goes on. You want to win, but like you know, you're great at football. <laughs> you know, you you know, you're the goat, regardless. And then addressing it is all about just like the 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 execution. It's just like that with that metaphor uh, when life gives you lemons, uh, turn them into lemonade. Like it's fine to accept that you got lemons and you know embrace the commitment to turn them into lemonade. But then you still have to put lemon juice, water, and sugar together in a way that tastes good.
0: (laughs) It's important too to realize, and I'm backtracking here to embracing. Sometimes the word embracing gets a reputation of everything's great. I'm embracing this. Well, no, being down 28 to three is not great. Like when you embrace that reality, you're not saying this is wonderful. I woke up this morning and wanted to be down 28 to three in the Super Bowl. No, it's just saying, all right, we're down 28 to three. I'm going to attack it.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, when you're embracing a challenging reality, like the the thought of giving up or being resigned to it doesn't even cross your mind. So you're not giving yourself a bunch of empty, happy talk. You know, I'm I'm glad we're losing. Like we play better from behind or whatever. Um, But you're, you're, um, you're also not just saying it, it's hopeless. Like, you know, it's over. No one's ever come back from this deficit before. It's just like, let's see what we can do. You know, like we don't know. (laughs) Let's let's just see. It's 28 to three. Let's give it a shot.
0: And give it a shot. They did, and when they did, and and I won't turn this podcast into a, a Patriots glorifying podcast. I mean, listen, I'm not a hater. I respect greatness. I really do. I mean, I'm a Bears fan, but I, I respect greatness, and and that is greatness right there. Certainly.
1: Yep, and the story continues <laughs> for so, Brady, at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. But well, just just out of curiosity, as a Patriots fan, what's it like to watch him win in red, black, and What's the color? Pewter? Yeah.
1: Well, I, you know, I think every, you know, cause I, I go back to the Steve Rogan dates for crying out loud. So, you know, uh, I, you know, I, it's not like, you know, I'm not a fair weather Patriots fan or, or like more of a Brady fan that I am a Patriots fan, but you know, I, I still wanted to see him do well with whatever team he ended up with. Um, so, yeah, I got some satisfaction. Plus like as an old guy, I love seeing you know older athletes um you know like prolong their peak uh you know it's really inspiring to to see that so there was that in it there's that in it as well i mean good lord like look what uh, he is defying the rules. Like, it's really awesome to see. Okay, we've gone way too far down this road. Sorry. <laughs>
0: no, it, 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 it is incredible. It, it really is incredible. And it, it but it, it goes to your message. I don't feel like we're off topic because you write about older endurance athletes right. who do incredible yep. things, who beat the young guys and the young women. And there's a trait, right? If you could tell me what those traits are that enable these older athletes to beat the young guns.
1: It, yeah it's such an interesting exercise to you know in in, in this is from how bad I want it, i tell the story of uh, a guy an athlete in his 40s who who actually was a you know an olympic mountain biker and then when he got older he stuck, he got into off road triathlons which mountain biking is part of it but you also have to swim and, and run and he became the oldest world champion in any endurance sport ever when he won the Xterra world championship a while ago, I think he was 43. And then he came back and did it again at 44, Brady's age. Um, And, and so I I tell, I tell his story, but also share some other examples of great, uh, mostly endurance athletes, um, you know, achieving things in, in, at an age when most people have long since retired. And of course not everyone does. And and so I look at what's different uh, between the two groups and, and one single thing jumps out and it, you know, you might think, oh, it's this, that, or the other thing. It's passion. It's passion. Like, it's like, they're not necessarily the, the you know, the the most talented or the most physically durable or whatever. It's just, they love it more than anyone else. And they find ways to keep that fire lit. Like they're still hungry at 43, 44, and that can make up for, you know, physical decline and, and all sorts of other things
0: passion. It's such a simple thing. I mean, we, we complicate life and sports so much, but I mean, it's passion at the end of the day, which it's cheesy, but it's true and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, don't you want to know what
1: the answer is? (laughs) And, and if it's that like, don't be disappointed, (laughs) use it. Uh, and, and, And it is true in life as well. Like if you look at, um, I remember noticing this when I was a kid, you know, like they would have you know, someone turns, someone in your hometown or the nearest big city turns a hundred and they have them on the local news. And they, what the question they always have to ask them is like, like how, what's your secret? You know? And and they, they they, almost, it seemed like I noticed this pattern, like they're like, Oh, I have a martini every day and I still have a cigar every day. And it's like, okay, so it's not, you know, having perfect health habits. It's just like being kind of chill, like, just like, Ha- not taking life too seriously, like letting stuff roll off you. And, and I, when I was writing that chapter of, of the book about, you know, older athletes excelling, I found that in, in, in just general psychology, that is true. Like one of the top predictors of um, like help, being healthy in old age and happy in old age and also living longer. Um, it, the, the, it's like psychology. It's just being kind of mellow. And uh, you know, not taking yourself or or life too seriously.
0: And as someone who's often not that mellow, that makes me sort of worked up about how I can get more mellow. <laughs> I'm doomed. <laughs> oh no! Now I'm all stressed and <laughs> tense about how to be more mellow.
1: Well, but then there's there's the other thing, the passion thing, because most people actually actually i, I got I sidetracked myself because that that's where I was I. Meant to be headed is that mm-hmm. people who maintain uh, like a passion for something—it's not just like this general "I love life." Like it's something in life that they love intensely. People who are able to maintain that into their golden years tend to be happier and, and healthier in in old age. So that's what you and I've got because I I'm kind of tightly wound too, but I am a passionate person. Like I I love being an athlete. I love writing. Um, I love coaching and, and, and so that, that's my hope for still being, uh, you know, reasonably healthy at 90 or whatever.
0: Right. We can be the tightly wound folks who still live long because we're passionate. I mean, I I have things that get me out of bed every morning, regardless of what's going on in the world. So that's passion, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I can tell. Like even uh, from your first email to me, uh, I'm I'm like this guy loves what he does.
0: <laughs> well, I I certainly do, and I I I think the reason we enjoy talking to each other, and I certainly enjoyed reading your book, is because we're cut from a similar cloth. There, uh, you know, I couldn't run an Iron Man, I wouldn't run an Iron Man necessarily. Uh, you maybe. You know, you're not a broadcaster, but it's a similar just vibe about someone who really loves what they do. And uh, uh, I appreciate that in you.
1: Likewise, right back at you,
0: <laughs> Matt. Clearly, I've read your stuff. Can you tell the folks out there how they can find more Matt Fitzgerald if they so choose?
1: Yes. Um, so probably the best place to start would be my personal website, which is Matt dot O R G. Don't go to that's other clown um he, he got there first so <laughs> matt and then like you know there i've written uh all too many books and you can poke around and find out about others there and if you want to do an iron man i also you can find out about my coaching there
0: maybe maybe i Who will knows? one day but hey, you you're gonna have to coach me up i'm telling you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it happens quite often because, you know, a lot of athletes in team sports or ball sports, they're left high and dry after high school or college. And a surprising number of them get into the endurance stuff.
0: They're just like, well, oh, well. <laughs> it's like, and I- that tells me that a lot of these people are passionate about competition, right? Like you said, you're passionate about competition. Maybe it's not that you're passionate about football. Football's a made up thing. It's wonderful. I love it. I've spent hours upon hours watching it, but it's just like a made-up thing. Maybe what you really love is beating someone else, challenging yourself, those things.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, for, for 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 people, you know, you wonder. I think, I think like Tom Brady, one of the reasons he's holding on so long is that he doesn't think there's any other substitute for it. You know what I mean? It's like it's either that or there's no other outlet for my passion. But you do see a lot of people, they get way, way into something else it could be another sport or it could just be you know i don't know athletes who become like really good actors or, or something
0: right or incredible business people investors broadcasters it's like you've yep. got this maniacal rage <laughs> and i mean rage in a good way about you that just makes you attack everything it's yep uh, it's those types of people who are fun to watch definitely fun yeah. to watch and
1: and also inspiring for like you know it's just like uh you know it's good to know like if something gets taken away from you you might be able to find something else that's that's you know the example that those types of athletes set for us
0: right it's proof in the pudding that there's a lot of pudding and all different flavors exactly Uh, matt i appreciate you coming on the mental game i'm especially thrilled when i read some of your books and i see the term mental game in there i'm like hey yeah that's the name of my podcast so thanks for dropping it in there
1: (laughs) yeah thanks for doing your podcast and
0: providing this platform a lot of laughs a lot of insight with matt fitzgerald really appreciate him coming aboard the mental game Now, in How Bad Do You Want It?, there's a metaphor Matt writes about that really resonated with me, and I want to leave you with this. And it's the concept that endurance athletes, but really all of us in life, experience this perpetual fire walk. Imagine walking barefoot across a bed of hot coals. And any setback, which for an athlete might be a torn ACL, it might be losing a limb in a really bad accident, or it could just be anything in life. Think a day-to-day setback you might have, spilling coffee all over yourself in your car on the way to work. That doesn't make the path impossible. It doesn't wipe the coals away and put the finish line out of reach. It just makes it a little longer to get there. So in the micro, it's, okay, maybe you need to change your shirt five more minutes. In the more severe with an athlete, it's, okay, maybe I tore an ACL. That's a nine-month setback. I've got to rehab like hell to get back there. But it's just a setback. The destination at the end of the bed of coals is still there. So that's a powerful metaphor to guide you through day-to-day life. So Matt Fitzgerald, check out his work at mattfitzgerald.org. Got a great gauntlet of guests coming around the corner on The Mental Game. As always, please rate Subscribe, review on both Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts, the Mental Game Podcast. So as always, right here in the Windy City, I'm Sam Brief, thrilled to be with you, and I hope you have a great and healthy and safe rest of your week. Adios. (music)